0: Hey everyone, before we get into today's episode, I just want to let you know that our friends at Outdoor Edge have partnered with some great brands to help bring your fall full circle with their field to freezer to fire giveaway. Here's how you enter go to their Facebook page and sign up to win some awesome prizes and packages from brands including Yeti, Weston, Bradley Smokers, and more. These are some awesome products that will help you process your game, keep your game in the freezer, and eventually cook it for your table. You have until January 15th to sign up, so take advantage of that Outdoor Edge in the Field to Freezer to Fire giveaway. Go to their Facebook page and make it happen.
1: Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And
2: Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. what you got there?
1: Uh, I found Hmm. this. What? At the... um, Remember that little store, Cranes
2: Country Store on... Oh, yeah. Seventy? Seventy. Yep. And... You couldn't resist. I couldn't. It's like you buying flashlights.
1: Twenty-five bucks. Huh. And I'll show you what makes it pretty cool is... um, So what I'm talking about for our audience is I found a knife, or I bought a knife, that's kind of one of those removable... Blades. Removable blades, knives... And then it comes with uh, this too. I think it's called True. Looks like a garage door opener. What is that? So you just carry. You can carry that if you want. You're a sucker. But it also has a saw blade in it as well. They got you. They got me. You know, might be one of those things too that somebody looks
2: like an old like a lighter like in that thing is looks like a a little Zippo lighter. Yeah,
1: yeah, but it's where your uh, extra (coughs) blades carry. But 25 bucks, I was like, you know, it's actually got the clip. And after having to clean, are you trying to sell me one my now? buck? <laughs> no, i was just showing you. Figured you'd
2: like that. Um, <coughs> uh you're going to mark it up, weren't you? You're going to sell it to me and mark it up. No, <laughs> <laughs> you're, and then you're going to whip out one. This is this is the one I actually bought for myself, but I yeah, just, I no, to no, uh,
1: I <coughs> bought it because I had to. Uh, the day I shot that buck. Um, and I somehow my my uh, other knife yeah. was not in my in my truck or wallet or, or backpack pocket. for some reason. So I had to clean that yeah. that deer with a pocket knife. Yeah, with then my Vortex. I think it's a Kershaw knife, but Vortex. Right. I got it from Vortex. Um, I had to clean it with that and it's not a replaceable blade. I'm, I'm very fond of those replaceable blade knives.
2: They're, they're pretty nice. And so <coughs> that's why I, uh, yeah, true. You broke down and I'd never seen
1: it. them before, but anyway, um, it's a nice little knife for 25 bucks, something sure. like that. cool. But anyway, uh, guys, welcome back to Lanny Lakes Podcast and Adam here. Matt is here. And we are, uh, going to discuss something, um, that I know because I'm seeing the posts. I mean, you can get on social media. People are getting fired up. Deer season is winding down for some of us. And um, habitat season is getting ready to hit full swing. And so we're going to do a podcast devoted to, I don't even know what we call it. We'll call this, I think this is podcast 281, if I remember right. 281 or 280. It's got to be a 281. 281 Hunting Tactics versus Land management
2: practices, yeah. and well, I, I, first off, I should say, I'm glad to be seeing posts about habitat, mail like people getting to habitat season, like, and it's a thing. That's encouraging. We're inching along. We're get, we're we're getting there. Yeah. And so I, I'm first off, applaud that. That's good to see. Um, but at the same time, I think I think we need to to. Um, I don't want to say draw a clear line between the different practices, um, but I think if we want to make the impact that so many people are wanting to have on a given property, they need to know like where some practices would fall in in uh, retrospect to like true habitat management practices that are going to <laughs> yield those results. Yeah, I
1: you know, and part of that is when I see. Just like I said, we're inching them along. It seems like there's more people getting into habitat manage- true habitat management yeah, land management yeah. that we're talking about here. It's happening. And, um, but because of that, we should also try to make sure we steer back onto the course or stay onto the course because there is the fads that kind of hit the mark, hit the industry to where they're almost like distractions where... You're like, I'm gonna go improve the farm, and then it's like, whoa, I saw this really cool thing. I want to go do that, and then before you know it, you're taking time away from what your initial plan was of improving the land.
2: I oftentimes, and, and talking to some clients or whatever, like the um, the industry of like finance and investing yes. often comes up, and it's like, well, the that's term, what a lot term, of our clients like, are in that right, field, right? So, so it comes up often, but it, but essentially, it is. The get rich quick schemes, like the Bitcoin, the the um, I want to ride the stock market for a short term to try. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it's like that same principle of uh, of people who are who are looking for those quick fixes or or the the get rich quick schemes are 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 potentially the same ones who are falling for these practices that we're about to go over. Get big bucks quick versus. Um, Versus a long-term financial plan where you're stashing away or or investing 15% each year and watching it grow and, and retiring millionaires or whatever. It's like, yeah, this is essentially like the same thing, just industry side by side. And some of these, I would say, compare to
1: like a... You know, I grew up in the 90s, so and I was a big base, baseball fan, and... So I lived through and watched steroid? the steroid era, yeah. and the steroid era was, you know, pretty bad. Looking back, at what it did, but some of these practices are almost like steroid shots for your land. <laughs> yeah, you might get the real quick, like, "Wow, I'm doing really good. I got ahead of my neighbors. I'm doing awesome." But the long term
2: effect of what that's doing to the land is bad, or, or, or yeah, or or that individual's body. It's like the side effects. Like, whoa, hold a second. It's like you can get, let's just say, for instance, you put a mock scrape up. You get a picture of a big buck. You're like, dude, I'm doing it. Like, I yeah. am doing it. This is what I wanted to accomplish. And that's like that um, cheap, superficial, let's say, success. Because a deer's going to scrape anywhere. You could place a truck. Trill- you didn't have to put a mock scrape somewhere to get the deer scraping. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like those sort of things it's just not long term because the wind may blow blow over the mock that mock scrape set up and then it's like well crap darn it shoot and i've seen and I've seen some properties
1: where there was dozens and dozens of mock scrapes with that that were pretty elegant I've seen them from uh, boards hammered in trees to create that that limb just at the right height to the string tied up in the tree yep. with the
2: grapevine or, vine yep. or
1: or sticks hanging down. And, you know, if it's not taking time away from your land management practices, then, cool. then fine, have at it. But don't believe that what you're doing is, like, guaranteed you're going to get a good buck or a big buck or kill, especially <clears throat> kill a big buck. I think a lot of these that we'll talk about come with the, Marketing or the advertisement that it's almost like a shake and bake, you just shake it up and dump it out, and shake and bake, baby, and <laughs> there's a big buck. Yeah, Wait, and that's not how it works, and that's that's not how that works, that's not how any of this works.
2: <laughs> and well, uh, that and you brought up a good point, though. It's like that's not going to create more big bucks essentially. The, 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 the secret or, or the, the uh, straw that breaks the camel's back between these practices is it's either here's something that may help you kill the deer that are already there on the property yeah versus here are the practices that are going to completely change the landscape and increase the number of deer and the quality of deer that are on the property at any given point. It's not yeah. just like, hey, here here's what your area is producing because yep. we're not actually touching the natural resources. We're just we're just doing some techniques that are we're
1: manipulating the landscape to try to attract the current state of the deer herd to come by or be within view of the trail camera or whatever. Yeah. It's I, like it's, if the yeah. biggest deer you have in your neighborhood is a 130-inch buck and you do these practices, there is a chance that you may see him more Let's say an or chance. kill him Yeah. and fill your tag with, with that because you manipulated your farm to do that. Now, these other practices are the kind that if the current state is a 130-inch buck and you do all these practices... You may notice within a few years or certainly five years that not only has your hunting gotten better, but you've also improved the overall age structure and quality of the set of antlers that that deer carries. can be if you're done correctly and you do it to a scale which I don't believe is a, a massive scale that you got to have two three hundred acres to make that change I, I don't I don't think I don't think so either because um, we should say <clears throat> number one thing, the three things. Basically, they're most important in getting bigger antlers is age, nutrition, and genetics. Mm-hmm. And we can control the first two. We can't really control the third one in free-range whitetail very much. So age. So we stop shooting young deer. Yep. Two, nutrition. We make more forage available that's also more nutrient-rich. Year-round. Year-round. And we lower stress periods. Yep. Or rem- And I would honestly say periods. that's the two things I focus on. The genetics... I can't coal
2: my way to giant deer success. No, and nobody can. And so I don't. That's like the thing that I can't even worry about. I mean, it it, it plays in a it plays in a factor. But honestly, thank goodness that that we can't as humans in, impact another factor that <laughs> that it's changes like, it. It's I want to like, be ah. a really
1: good runner, but I don't run good on days with low barometric pressure. Well, I can't control that. So I just got to be a I good just runner. i got to be a
2: good runner. Yeah. Oh, well, I just got to have a great I just gotta st- can't stop running. <laughs> Kept on running. <laughs> so, um, let's break out so we've got essentially hunting strategy techniques. Yep. That will improve the success in the field or or your your ability to document the deer herd what they're doing at any given time in the season. Um, so then you can make better hunting decisions and hopefully capitalize on deer that are already there you're not you're not changing them or you're not improving them as an individual or as an overall herd you're not improving the deer with those tactics yep versus land management practices that are impacting the natural resources available or creating different natural resources for wildlife yep and and some of these spill over it's just in the way that they're utilized to say if it's going to make a large scale impact. So kind of going back to last week's podcast, it's like, okay, so what are your goals? This is like that, that check, restate them in your head and then go through these and say, well, where's my time spent? What am I doing? Are these the, are these the practices I'm choosing to do? I may not be reaching my goals because I'm thinking too short term versus not enough long-term practices. And, and, if you want to make the big difference, it's not going to happen. Just snap of fingers overnight. Yeah. So what, what, uh, what do we got for the hunting strategy uh, practices that we commonly see going into American in Habitat season that are uh, going to yield less than desirable results for someone wanting to make a big impact? So I think one of the, I'll,
1: I'll kind of bounce around on the list here, but one of the big ones, of course, we're coming up, it's it's December, so we're getting into where a lot of natives are being planted. And one thing that I see a lot with because of the season of planting, uh, monocultures of grass yeah. I see being planted now. Um, not to say, you know, if you go and grab a native grass, one, bl- one species of native grass and you go plant 20 acres of it, because you're trying to create bedding, you could technically fall in a category of keeping some deer to uh, sur- to survive to where they reach the next level of age. But the overall impact and the overall goal isn't in a true nature's design land management technique. And I say that because nowhere in nature will you find naturally occurring monocultures a sea of of a single species sea of of one grass and so we really advise people not to plant monocultures to a large scale because it's not fitting within nature's design for land management or
2: if you have the option which is even better even if you're trying to do like the big three right Uh uh-huh big blue little blue switch or, or big blue indian grass and switch that's still just all grasses Yep. it would be more 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 better, more better <laughs> if you could throw in Forbes native Forbes to go in with that mixture yeah and and that's now diversifying that twenty acre still you're not giving up cover, but you're adding food, and that is what would naturally be found occurring across a landscape um the way God designed it yeah a- and so we're 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 killing multiple birds with one stone simply by just a slight change in in the the mix that would be planted. Yeah, because you're providing a blend that just
1: like most places in nature naturally occurring, you'll find where there's cover available for many species as well as food available for many species. But when you plant a sea of thick switchgrass for cover, first off, I think there's better options. I know there's better options. But second off, there's no food value. And there's no food value for a, not just deer, but a lot of species. Oh, yeah. A quail doesn't make his living on a sea of switchgrass. A pheasant, no. even, as a non-native bird, doesn't make his living on a sea of switchgrass. Now, Just because you can stop, find them there. Stop, everybody, mean stop. Not, I know uh. that you may say you're going to find them there in the middle of the winter because it's the only grass that stands up. But there's a lot of months out of the year where the where they need something to eat. <laughs> and there's every, not snow on the ground. Every month of the year. Yeah. And so, yeah. during that short little window, why are we devoting a large scale for to to help a bird or help an animal for a small window of time? Even even in the north, you don't have snow on the ground from August to May. Lord help you if you do. <laughs> we'll see you. You move. better start running a chainsaw and put some woody brows on the ground. But
2: I, I, we we can't just continue to think about. The hunting season for w- what the practices we're going to be doing. Yeah. Although although we're coming out of hunting season, and it's great to look at hunting season and and take your observations and say, here's what I can do to make my hunting better. Don't just do the practices that improve just the months of October, November, and December. Yeah, you're you're going to fail. And not have the impact. So that's essentially what these categories are. And even even about monocultures
1: of grass, whether it's 10 species of grass, and there's hardly any forbs, it's still not quality bedding Correct. because you need structure, you need diversity. And so you could see if, if I have a 20-acre field, this is my hang-up on CRP, is if I have a 20-acre field of dominating grass, it's over 75% grass, it's it's really low quality on my big scale big view of, of, of what you can't have of right? what I can't have yeah I would like to see shrubs I would like to see some dotted off even young young Oaks any down any down kind of woody structures. structure Yep, and I would also like to see pockets of more f- uh Forbes certainly and and so now there's a a lot of guys that are planting like randomness of switchgrass in their fields which if you were to just bag up a, a let's just say you've got a 40 acre chunk of a prairie and I was just to, and switchgrass is part of that and I was just to bag up all the seed magically and plant it you would notice that within time there would be pockets of naturally occurring thickets of switchgrass because no, that's the way it grows that's kind of the way it grows so it just does it naturally you don't really have to Go out and meander around and, and do it. Um, and so, the alternative to that so, monocultures of grass is a habitat tactic or, or, or a hunting tactic. And it's kind of a fad that people are using that I don't really agree with. The alternative to that, what would be more of a land management tactic, would be a diverse prairie planting, a pollinator planting, um, a mix of prairie planting and shrubs. Um, even some tree pockets, if you want, even some riparian willow and buttonbush plantings would be or,
2: amazing. Or if you had, if you if you wanted still to enroll in CRP, also enroll and do down tree structures out in the middle of the CRP. Yeah, which isn't breaking contract or anything. You it's may have to move added, them out
1: for their humor at some point, but sure. move them back. But, but
2: you can you can do that. Yeah, um, to create the structures. That are, that are necessary to bedding, um, but still have the income aspect of it as well. Yep. Um, and another alternative to the
1: monocultures of grass would be old field management. 110%. Which is highly favored. One of our favorites of, of removing, let's just say you even remove 20 acres of fescue by spraying it out. And then you just let nature tell you what's going to grow back. And if it's...
2: Guide it along. Yeah, guide it through the really early successional like, plant
1: communities burn it every couple of years and just control the invasives but old field management and then add some shrubs add some woody structure to that and you're going to see an amazing difference yeah. so and that's naturally going to come and yeah. it's not <coughs> land management is not whitetail deer land management is about all the native animals to that area so we're trying to manage for all of them and yep. so if you're just doing straight grass you're not really helping
2: I mean seriously we we, talked, we talked about animals. this uh several several months ago I believe it was but I uh, maybe, maybe this with, with Kyle or Frank um but literally when when do you find a turkey th- walking through a field Grass. of switchgrass never
1: well even then when do you find deer walking through if you've got cave a well-established cave and rock switchgrass field when do you see deer out? Lo- loafing in that hardly ever not not a, not it's a too doggone thick
2: not often
1: you have to unless you're burning it or mowing it or disking it just to keep it down from being so rank it's not that great so we've covered monocultures grass and hunting tactics and then What's in land management side we covered old field management and diverse plantings such as prairie and shrub plantings next one up uh mock scrapes Hunting tactic has nothing to do with land management or habitat management.
2: You're not you're not impacting um, deer's health. You're not getting them bigger. It's simply just a a way to concentrate deer in a different area or at a very 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 specific point that can help you target or kill a deer. And we love mock scrapes. We
1: do them all the time, but we certainly don't go out there thinking we're going to change the deer herd because of them because we're having them. Um,
2: yeah, I and, and literally they t- they take a, a little bit of time to do, but don't just don't read into the imp- beyond the impact that they actually have. It's literally they're just scraping your your mock scrape and whatever is not going to like attract another big buck into the area that wasn't already on his way. Right? Yep. Like, there's already scrapes naturally occurring. It's it, they're they're just checking the scrape. Yep. So. It's not doing anything besides giving you a point to photograph some deer.
1: That's right. Uh, another another um, popular thing that gets lumped in is habitat management or land management, and you think you're going to you know change the overall size of antlers. And this is a very confrontational one here, but we got minerals.
2: Yeah, I mean there there's, there's tons of research. Um, multiple uh, universities just looked at very defined studies of controls and this and that they just don't add up to changing the overall antler no. configurations by any percentage of, of increase. And with C W D out now <laughs> I wouldn't
1: I wouldn't no. And it's not something I want to establish as a is a major uh, mineral site. And, and I know
2: that comes to a blow or a shock to a lot of people, but it, it is we can't change it. And that's yep. just the truth of the of of research and um what, what it does do, though, too, during the right times of the year, it puts deer in front of cameras. Absolutely. And again, it, it provides that falsehood of, I'm giving them something that they need. Well, deer, just like a mock scrape, right? It's not like the deer needs you to put that scrape up. It would do it anyhow. Or it's not like the deer need this mineral block on the landscape because they're going to go eat native browse and get the minerals that they need out of it naturally yeah besides coming here it just gives this falsehood of importance it feels like you're doing something but in reality you're not yeah and keeping in line with that
1: these are we said hunting tactics we call, might as well call them non-land management tactics yeah that's true um because they they don't fall into land management even though they're not really uh part of a hunting but supplemental feeding Right, is another right. one. And there's guys in Texas, yes, we get it. Your you know, your dry climate, that's the only option. We're talking about the guys who do recreational supplemental feeding and even guys who dump thousands of dollars in uh, in supplemental feed and and
2: I would protein I would. and
1: corn in the Midwest and South and everywhere else
2: mid-atlantic i I would i would argue that if if you're doing that through certain months of the year you're likely artificially impacting the carrying capacity of the area to an unhealthy standpoint if you're selectively doing it during like times where there are um Periods, of, limited resources. Yeah, limited yeah. resources. I think about th- the guys up north who you're you're carrying over almost too many deer. Where the summertime and then the fall and then the bulk of winter when you're not doing it, you, you, they're stressed. Like yeah. like the deer herd should not be at that level. And you're actually you're not helping those individuals. That the, the yeah. overall herd actually needs to be shrunk back down into retrospect of what the carrying capacity is.
1: This is really really kind of a sad way to look at it. But nature is very cruel. And nature definitely weeds out the weakest link. It does, and if we're stepping in to try to ensure that even the weakest ones don't get weeded out, we ultimately harm the whole entire herd. Exactly, and and I think that's where a lot of times it's like I don't want any deer to die. Well, then they're all going to suffer.
2: Well, and and, and like again, I'm go- I, I'm not going to go and spend all that money to go and do that. And do it for a small portion of the time and hurt the deer herd. I'm going to go and probably cut some trees that are yeah. going to increase the amount of cover, but yeah. then give them woody browse through tough times, and then give them more just browse throughout the summer yep. and all the uh, additional leaves yep. and and buds through the fall. Like I'm I'm not going. I'm going to give it to them in different ways. That's going to spread yep. out the resource.
1: Yep. So you lower social stress and everything because mm-hmm. that's another big mm-hmm. thing about mineral sites and especially supplemental feeders during those stressful times is you take deer who are a already stressed out because of the conditions lack of lack of uh, food and quality cover, and then you put them all in the same place
2: well, and we haven't even uh, 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 talked about. What that then does for the predator population too? Oh like gosh! Corn. Everyone wants to badmouth coons, but you got thirty of them wrapped around <laughs> your corn feeders. What are yeah. you doing? Yeah.
1: Are you kidding me? You know, some people call their feeders deer feeders. They might as well call them raccoon feeders. Yes. Yes. That's all think? they feed. But
2: what do you think you're doing to that population too? You're artificially impacting it um, from a carrying capacity, and you're condensing them in and around focal areas that you want to hunt, and then you complain that they're actually there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, doesn't make any sense. <laughs>
1: uh,
2: yeah. Um
1: next one up, um since we're talking about predators, yeah. recreational trapping. Yeah. And and this is one of these non land management tactics that ultimately they just take your time away from things <laughs> that you could actually make a a a, a bigger influence or a, a a bigger um improvement on your land by doing them. So recreational trapping, what is it? And I and I need to define that before because this is one of them that kind of spills over into the other one, if done correctly, um, depending on what your goals are. Recreational trapping. If you show up on Saturday morning and you throw out a couple of traps and you go back and check them on Sunday night and then you trip them all and get ready to come back on the weekend and check them, and you're running traps ten times through the whole course of the year and you catch a couple of raccoons and a couple of possums and a coyote or two, you're not making a difference that vacuum effect those predators that you just removed are replaced within days weeks at the very most a month or two
2: well well it's it, at that at that level though it's not even essentially a vacuum no it's at, just at, at that point yeah and especially when most of those predators are, are getting ready to go into the breeding season of February March late January um, they're 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 completely expanding and shifting ranges it's like it didn't do anything, it, and again, for the hundred millionth time, I think we've had to say this: if you enjoy it and you're introducing kids to it, and and whatever, fantastic. But don't again have work under the false pretense that it's impacting. The deer, the turkey, in a in a super positive way. That it's you're just saving not. the turkeys, right? It's I trapped a coyote. I'm saving the turkeys. It's not. It's not. It's not how it works. It's not how it's going to work, no matter how much you want it to work. It is too dynamic, and you're not making nearly the big enough difference.
1: Yeah. Period. I almost have a Dwight K. Shrewd kind of quote for you here. I trapped a coyote. I'm saving the turkey. False. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're yes. not saving the turkeys. <laughs> That's it. That's just it.
2: Not not by those practices, but t- yeah. but practices so like switch that t- over. Timber if, management. If you hire, well, I was going to say
1: recreational trapping versus hiring a professional trapper and he's going to come spend an entire week or two weeks on your place and he's trapping out, you know, you've got 200 acres and he traps out a dozen coyotes and f- 30
2: raccoons and 30 possums. <laughs> yeah. And, and and if you can do he that creates
1: a pretty good impact f- still for just a period of time.
2: Yeah, and there's there's those states where you could trap ahead of um, Or during know, nesting yeah, seasons. Exactly. Fawning or nesting seasons. And then that, that will that will make a, a that temporary void. But again the number of, of individuals that are, um, are able to, to pay for that type of service, um, yeah, it's and and that they that, that, again is like okay I that's the cherry on top like uh, on a Sunday right Yeah I've done I've got the banana it's split There's three scoops of ice cream whipped cream sprinkles Now I'm going to start addressing the cherry because the habitat yep. better be in place before, before that before you start before going that craziness happens that time, yeah. yeah
1: you'd be better off hiring a chainsaw <laughs> crew to come in and cut rather than oh hire yeah. a professional trapper
2: with yeah. with and and I, I great point. Someone's probably looking at that right now and not trying to put any trappers out of business, but it's like seriously consider that. Seriously yep. consider that the cost of, of what a four man crew for a week would do timber wise through TSI or or FSI compare that to a month long trapping. Which impact's going to last longer? Which one are you going to see longer? Which one are you going to be able to tell? Which one makes your hunting better? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: A lot of a lot of false false uh false promise motive. out yeah. there. Um uh, next up, fruit trees.
2: Oh. Don't break my heart.
1: Yeah. Uh persimmons, apples, pears, all those things. Now I like them. You know it's cool. But to think that you're got that you have a food plot. Okay, I did step A.
2: Now I'm got to go step B. I got to plant trees. It's a pimple on the butt. Of yeah. It, it makes no difference. Like we would you would have to have considerable number of trees health of trees on a property to impact the overall let's say tonnage that is that is going to be supplied through fruit trees Yep. Now again, and you'd
1: have to prune them every year. You yep. got to spray them every yep. year. You got to maintain them every year. Keep the put the cages around them so the deer don't rub them and kill them.
2: Don't let the mower hit it when you're mowing your clover yep. around the edge. Don't
1: let your herbicide drift. Yeah, all those things. And if you're yeah. willing to accept that challenge and plant again. a good amount. Not to say, okay, you, you drop five apple trees on the a- one end of your food plot, and ten years from now they're dropping a- uh, they're dropping acorns. Wow, magic <laughs> that's trees! That's
2: awesome. <laughs> they're dropping
1: fruit. They're dropping uh. apples, and you're like, man, this is really. C-. It's not like that's creating deer to be bigger and healthier and and more daylight
2: active on your property. It was a, it's it's a it's a little attractant. Yeah, to that food plot, and that's cool. But dadgummit, gummit it took 5 years to do that and how many weekends of work carrying water out to water those trees in and then spray and prune. I'm sorry, and I'm not afraid to work hard, but I'm not working that hard for that little return. That yeah. sucks.
1: Just return flat out of investment, not good.
2: Like I would rather hammer that edge with edge feathering and be like, "Hey, year-round food right here on the edge. Come and get it." and yep. I cut it, and I put a little bit of herbicide on maybe some stumps, and I walked away, and now I just include it in my fire unit every three years. And it's like cruise control. But yep. I have I have more food value and more cover value than those apple trees ever would have offered. Uh, next up, water tubs or holes. How man! Um. Honestly, it's it. I just look at it similar to like like the whole Apple thing. There's there's going to be times where that it works. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And 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 deer drink water. Yeah, it's true. They drink water. Probably not as much as you think they do. <laughs> no, I think I think it's eighty like percent of their water intakes through. Uh, uh, th- 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 they Forage. get through the food, yeah. right, through the metabolic process of breaking it down. So it's But like, that's
1: not to say that if you have water available, they don't drink it. And Keith correct. was telling me about correct. when you guys hunted Paradise Point food oh, plot, yeah. well, and y- they kept every- going to that little water puddle.
2: Since 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 that food plot has been expanded, anytime it gets a little damp, there's a little spot that holds. I mean, we're talking size of the, this grill here, like yeah. the, the hood of this grill. Like it's tiny, but it holds a little bit of water. And, yeah, I mean – now, it's very nice and convenient that it's right there on their path, m- the path the in, plot. but um, they hit it, and they stopped. Yeah. I, saw, I saw deer, um, oh gosh, back in October when it got a little dry in October. Um, it was on a great rub line and scrape line, and four bucks walked that line that one night, and sure enough, Three of the four drank from that little puddle that had been created. there. Yeah. cool, but guess what? It didn't. It didn't make them bigger. Yep. It's going to potentially help you kill a deer, mm-hmm. but then I, I I argue too that it's at very certain times of the year. Yeah, but guess what? If it if you've got a rainy October, late October and November, it's, it did. The the all the time you spent digging, filling, putting that in, and the it biggest really thing, just didn't make a difference.
1: Taking water there, yeah, yeah. Now we do. We we've talked with some people that have gotten it down to where I've, I know one guy that a client actually mm-hmm. who has done it, uh, but he gets in position where he gets runoff from the hill, and it, he's never had to sure. fill him up. And he's like all Wise. I did was was dig the hole, put it there, and then now with runoff, I've never and it always has water. Mm-hmm. Well. That was a, you know, for a return on investment, that wasn't bad. You yeah. don't have to come back out here and water and
2: fill it back up. That makes sense. Yep. I get but. it. But but it didn't it did not improve the overall health of the deer herd. It did not uh, make that individual bigger, better, have better set of antlers. The 130 last year, he came by and he drank out of it four times. You got him on trail camera and he's still a 135 now. Yeah. Like that's cool but it doesn't overall move the needle on any yeah. increases. And if you're
1: and if you're a person, a listener, that's like you're content with the size of the deer you have on your property, then by all means, do these and see if they work. Sure. But most of us aren't. Most of us are like, I know it can be better. And then do the other stuff on this that we'll read in in a little while. Next up is, I almost want to paint the picture first. Um, you're scrolling through social media. And you see uh, a post where a guy's asking a question about what to plant in blank A, uh, food plot A. And food plot A is just a smidgen bigger than my backyard, which isn't very big. Um, You know, it's 15 yards across and it's 30 yards long. It's long and skinny and it's got tree canopy going over. Almost both sides of it. So it gets a little sliver of full sun right in the middle.
2: Yep. Midday, early afternoon, you get a little bit of sun.
1: Yeah. And then when the leaves fall, of course, you get more sun. But uh, when the leaves fall, the food plot can get covered up with yeah. leaves. Kill plot. Oh, man. Which kill yeah. plot is it's just like food plot. Man, You can some guys call food plots or hidey holes or kill plots or destination fields. Um, feeding fields. I'm trying to think of some of the other terms that you hear with them. Um, so it's a, it's it goes everything from the truck hood size all the way up to the ten acre field. Yeah. that we all drool over.
2: But, but we're we're talking right here kill plot as in the small less than a quarter acre, scratched basically. out kind of leaf blower blown in, broadcasted and small little tiny openings in in the yeah. timber. To
1: where they compete too much. The nutrients is getting robbed from the trees that are still basically hanging over the opening. And uh, you just don't ever get much productiveness out of it. You you created a... Oh. What? Or or the half acre food plot that has a dozen trees dotted through the middle of it. That too, just I, irritating. Yeah. That's like the biggest... There's There's several sins of food plotting. Deep tillage... Yeah, and leaving trees in the field. Oh man, yeah. Might be two of the biggest ones.
2: Or planting trees in the field too. Oh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Judas. I, I went yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so so these kill plots again from the size you can you can get a little a couple little nibbles in there, right? That that yeah. that are gonna you get last. a lot more if it's natives. <laughs> That's gonna last, you know, through the month of October, maybe, um, before it gets browsed down and and whatever. But but you're not again m- moving the needle on impacting the overall health. I, I think it honestly is when you have some openings, it it is essentially. Just a place where more social interaction can occur. Uh-huh. If you hadn't planted that opening, the deer would still come there and scrape along the edge. And if there were natives no. there left, big right, big piney opening. Yeah, yeah.
1: Classic example. Excellent. Actually, where I, so where I shot my buck, mm-hmm. which I didn't shoot him in the opening. I shot him on the out at the edge of the of the hayfield. Yep. Um, but that is a little Wait. opening that deer
2: like hayfields, then, huh?
1: They do <laughs> love them,
2: especially fescue. <laughs> um.
1: No, travel corridor that dumped Got him to. into a downwind side of this little opening. Yep. and uh, But that little opening has been – shoot, we get pictures of from deer on it almost every night. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even though it's not planted, they still love being there. Yep. And they spend a lot of time there. Downwind side of a bedding thicket, little opening in the woods. Bottleneck.
2: Yeah. They're so small and so um, – they have such a small impact, though, too, on the actual – food value uh, of an area of a farm um that that is essentially just that communication post potential that yeah you see deer congregating in and around and a lot of them too i think can um can be well placed from hunters yeah and so you have someone who wants to go in and clear out a spot well because you wait you're already seeing deer there well <laughs> yeah they're going to continue to be there because they're already passing through so it's like We're just trying to say from a kill plot standpoint, it's going to help you slow the deer down, concentrate them just a little bit more in that area they're already working through, but you're not impacting on a great big scale the overall herd health.
1: Yeah. Oh, man. And so flip side of that. Yep you go into large plots yeah. where that can be qualifying for land management or improving the overall productiveness of the deer herd because we're talking anything that has you know 2 acres and bigger or you've got 6 1-acre fields like yeah you're going to produce a ton of forage mm-hmm. if you've amended the soil correctly and 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 improved your soil health appropriately to where you can produce 3,500 or more pounds oh, easy, of yeah. forage available per acre. Five, 6,000. That certainly does. Yeah, yeah, that certainly makes an impact. Yeah.
2: You're, you're
1: but not everybody's got that budget or the time or, or the, the, the size of land that can and handle that. Or the
2: equipment to be able to do it.
1: So that's where, you know, if, if I don't have the, s- the size of land, the equipment, or the budget, it's very hard for me to say, let's do food plots, especially bigger food plots, because you just can't do it. Yeah, You'd be, no. you're better off getting a chainsaw and running a chainsaw. Yeah, uh, I think. <clears throat> that, well, that's a whole nother podcast. I don't even want to give the cat. I don't even want to let the cat out of the bag on that podcast topic. I so. was
2: getting ready to let one out too, but um, we'll move on. Last one for
1: hunting tactics and strategies and non-land management uh, practices. What you got? I don't know why this. What's one that? Fell you got in? that spark on your face. <laughs> I don't know why this one falls in, but screening. Oh. Monoculture screening. Whoa, Why is whoa, this whoa, getting whoa, called whoa. land management? I don't know. Why is it getting called uh, deer management? I don't know. That's not habitat management
2: yeah. if it's a monoculture and screening. And if you're planting a non-native one, get out of here. <laughs> it is it is a – Give is me a, the coordinates. Well, I'll say this. It is a – just screening in general. A lot of places, it's a very necessary And aspect. we
1: recommend it to clients.
2: Yes. From a standpoint of
1: you're on a gravel road or you're on a highway. Perfect yeah, you example. need screening. Yesterday. Or, okay. Yeah, well, go I was ahead. In,
2: I was in Tennessee. This, this uh, farm in particular has a lot of gravel road frontage on many different sides of the farm and a and a hardtop road that splits it in the center. And so I was driving, and I knew I was still a little ways from like the turnoff to the house where I was meeting the client. And I'm like, well, this is part of the property because it was just both sides of the road. I was just meandering through a screen because it was open fields left and right. It's like, well, here, I'm on the property or this is it because, like, who else is going to do this? And it was very intentional, very necessary um, for them to do that. And they're going to continue screening. What was the planting or what kind? He had had planted um, last year, he had planted a strip. Of switchgrass, it had not okay. matured yet. But then, on the outside, closer to the road, he had just done annual planting of Egyptian wheat. So it had you been to the, you hadn't been to this podcast yet or this this place no. yet, have no. You? So that guy listened to the podcast, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so like, so it it, but it's essential that that screen be part of the plan. Yeah, like no, it's not it's not to take away because he has to protect you know all the other work that's happening. He's screening off essentially a lot of old field, and yep. he's screening off future old fields and some future edge feathering and future food plots. So he will always be doing that. Yep, We'll go into and a, a, a p- perennial, uh, uh, you know, uh, a longer-term screen options, but right now ha- has to do it. Yep. And, it, and so and are you going to recommend,
1: like, this is kind of the hang-up where we will recommend a pure stand of a short... Uh, 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 like a little strip, five yard strip of, or a 10 yard strip of monoculture of switchgrass in conjunction with shrub plantings or evergreen plantings, or um, even on the other side, be going into native planting. Like we have to, we have to shield eyeballs, eyeballs. You have to. But also, we need to provide some habitat. Correct. Correct. And so that's I, where I'm, like, not, I'm not as worried. Switchgrass being <clears throat> a native species. I'm not as upset about that. What I am upset about is these non natives, untested, like just no longer we don't know long term effects sure. of these. We've we've introduced too many aliens and too many yeah. non natives that have been bad. Right. Let's I mean cross pollinated and ha- at what stuff. point do we have to say let's just you know what? Let's just stick I, with I, native. I, what let's what just. what species did you say it was? Oh, it's non native?
2: Okay. You said enough. I don't no. want it. Like I'm. So to answer that question, it's going to depend on the certain area. There's already some switchgrass coming in. Perfect. So so, so that's fine. We're yep. going to build off of that. But a lot of what the screen will be is until that continues to mature and be- before the old field actually fills in as well. So they're not yep. looking just through a ten-yard a ten strip of s- a switch. Going to continue to do the annual Egyptian yep. wheat. Once that matures, then it will be a screen. Because it's already planted, you should only have to be doing that for two years, a couple years, yeah, yeah. yeah. But then it'll be a screen of switchgrass, since so you know it's already there, already planted, yep. and then it's going to blend into old field. And some of the topography-wise, you're not going to have to worry about Perfect. it once those both grow up. So Perfect. it's it's on its way. We're just you know tweaking some things, and there are some other areas where there will probably be some some shrubs planted because they're just wide open, and yeah. th- it, I mean lots of discussions and um, people getting tickets and he has seen just a lot of road hunting. So, screening there, have to have it, but it's not an overall habitat management technique that is going to completely change the health of the deer herd. It may save a few deer, and that's important for the overall goal, but that 5, 10, 20-yard strip around a roadside isn't moving much of a needle. So screening screening with
1: monocultures is sometimes important, but don't think that it's just like, this is going to save my deer. Correct. This is going to make big bucks.
2: Correct. You may pay big bucks for it. (sighs) We're saving saving the views into the actual resources like the old field, like the edge feathering, like the managed timber. That's going to be beyond the screen itself. And in land management, if
1: you ever have a question, first ask yourself, is it native? Okay, now I'll hear you out. If it's non-native, be cautious. Yeah. Food plot varieties are about the only non-natives that we'll kind of accept because They're most of those long-term. are easy to control. Yeah. Don't have long-term effects. All and right. And most are annual species. Most. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's pretty much all the hunting habitat, uh, non-habitat strategies or tactics that we list out that oftentimes gets labeled into land management, habitat management, deer management. Mm-hmm. Um, let's jump into some land management practices, um, that we should be focusing on. It's almost like I have a honeydew list. Hey, hey, I have a honeydew list and I can't complete the ones on the left column until I complete the ones on the right column. And the Correct. right column is the ones we're getting ready to go over. Yeah. Once you do these, then you can waste your time on these others. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or once you do these, for the most part, and hunting season is here and you and you can't do these other things, these land management practices, then you can do box scrapes. Then you can do water holes. So what you got? So edge oh. feathering. Yep. I mean, I was on a property yesterday. Props to this family. They've mm-hmm. already done edge feathering years past. Nice. How'd it look? Grown up. Needs it again. Okay. But they had done it. And they yeah. had quail. We jumped yeah. some quail. Yeah. But they had done edge feathering. Now, the dad, okay. goal number one, more quail. Cool. I can get on board with that. Yeah. So, edge feathering. Man, we talked so much about it. If you want to know what it is, but simply just soften the edge. Improve improve the diversity around your fields, your food plots. Not only can you use it to, uh, you know, because if, if you do this, you're going to provide woody browse uh, especially during the winter months, they can get in there after season and work around that and, and browse on that. They can even do it during deer season, but if you've got a food plot, they're probably going to prefer that over it. Shrubs,
2: stump sprouts, brambles, forbs,
1: yep. all mixed in one. That's Grasses. It. Yep, yep. Um, and so it's it's great. It's not only this is the phenomenal thing about <coughs> it. It's great for the health of the land. It's yeah. great for the diversity of the farm, but it's also a great hunting strategy because you can steer deer to enter food plots on your end where you can access better, um, as well as help screen you getting to and from the stand. Yeah. If, you know, over time as that grows up. So, edge feathering, phenomenal. Don't know why we don't do it. It ought to be a requirement
2: for all podcast listeners and everyone <laughs> who hunts. Um, We're, we need to ask <laughs> before they go into the land, wildlife, community facebook group and say have you edged feathered before you know how you get those three questions yeah before you go into some some closed groups have you ever edged feathered before yes okay yeah. let him in yeah get in here
1: <laughs> what's the password yeah. uh edge feathered this saturday <laughs> welcome aboard <laughs> um the next one tsi fsi difference timber stand improvement forest stand improvement goal of timber stand improvement we're trying to manage the forest to where we can grow some timber to produce income but overall we're just creating a healthy
2: forest with varying age classes yeah That's and so fsi important.
1: you know there's no timber value i think a south facing slopes west facing slopes in the ozarks we're probably not going to grow any timber but i want to create a healthy forest so i'm doing forest stand improvement it's probably going to be a little bit more open yep. uh, a little bit more sunlight reaching the forest floor um Man, you cannot go wrong with managing your timber and cutting out the weed trees. You mentioned crop tree release, <laughs> yep. Yep. so you can produce more more uh, mast, ha- more mast and, uh, and and that's the thing. Both it, hard mass and
2: soft mass like fruit. It's it's when it comes to FSI. Like again, some some of the, some trees that are potentially ugly, but they can be great. Acorn producers, yep. they mass producers, they, they can do awesome. It's just, you know, identifying those trees and then going in and removing competition in and around those areas. And, and hey, look, there we go. Complete yep. some FSI.
1: Yep. Next one, I mentioned it earlier, but old field management Ugh. Uh, should be done. Anywhere you have open acres that's not food plot and not uh, – I'm not going to lie. It's Honestly, I think
2: it's my favorite. Crops.
1: You think overall old field management is your
2: favorite? I, I think so. Um, I think I think because it's generally easy. Yeah. To create you just like being a maintain. lazy bum and a Seriously. UTV spraying and listening yeah, to music. Absolutely, and then fire fun as heck to burn, but I, I just look at it from. Whole, I love the whole those year, early
1: succession, pl- early yeah. successional plants,
2: and, and just the diversity that's in there. Because you see rabbits increase, you see um, mice, voles, bobcats, coyotes, turkeys, deer, whatever. So many songbirds utilizing it's like that. That place is alive and rocking. Yeah, like that. That is awesome. So it's just it's it's, it's dynamic. Um, it would it impacts so many different things. Next one doesn't get <laughs> near enough attention.
1: Not against. Uh, not because we're not trying, but uh invasive species control. <sighs> My heart broke yesterday. It says C in these notes. Did you read these notes? It says C monoculture non native screening for invasive control. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Take note. No. Take note. <laughs> um w three years ago on the property I was working yesterday in Tennessee was a was a select harvest. And um, now in certain areas. East Tennessee, you say? No, southwest Tennessee. Okay. And, um,
1: Ah, man. This is what most government agencies are turning into, invasive species control. Oh, yeah. If if it's quail forever, (sighs) pheasants forever, NRCS, a lot of the field workers, they're turning into invasive species managers. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's in
2: that that right there should tell you that's exactly how big of a problem it is if you're not aware of invasive species on your property, you need to be get aware, yeah, and you need to learn what they are in your area and and begin treating because you probably have them if you're not aware. Get them while they're young, yeah. And yep. so, but that's how that's how that's how big of an issue it's becoming if those 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 government agencies are are putting or allotting so much money to removal. Um, termination of invasive species, but I walked into this area that that had been um, pretty pretty drastically opened, and it was in a low line kind of box elder type bottom, mm. and um, it was just yellow with Japanese stiltgrass. Oh, stilt grass.
1: No. I knew you were going to say it.
2: And um, and, and I just sat there. I was like, "This just sucks," because it's like w- <sighs> the move the you know moving ahead is like this is just going to be a struggle. Yeah, like this is just going to be difficult to address. You're going to have to plant your flag and <laughs> oh, start there. Just it's like no more. Yeah, you know, and and and, and it's a, it's, it's not like this, but it's like getting. Hey, you have term. You have a terminal illness, <laughs> and your life is going to be difficult, and the road that you're about to go down yeah. is going to be tough. We need some I'm chemo not, treatment. Yeah, I'm not comparing chemo, I mean the chemical. Di- <laughs> yeah, I'm not comparing those two. Um, we've all had individuals who have. Yeah. Passed on, but but it's just it was essentially had to des- deliver some bad news that hey this is going to be um, the redheaded stepchild of the farm like you're always going to have to just work right. this thing right. He just Defended half the <laughs> our listeners. <laughs> it's 2020. <laughs> you cannot say that stuff like this. I guess not. I'm wearing a brown jacket. I just
1: defended half the people. <laughs> I'm wearing blue jeans. I don't like them. Yeah. I'm not gonna ask you to take them off. Though. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just wearing thermals.
2: Okay, it's it's been it's past uh, September. It is past September. You know you know Look, like my stinking grandpa. <laughs> well, it turned. It's past Labor Day. Fashion rule. Yeah, Till Til March 31st, I'm gonna have these thermals on. <laughs> Turkey season is when I take uh, them off.
1: Gross. All right, next one up, we have. I have large plots, <laughs> large food plots, destination. Kind of covered that. This earlier. is expensive. <clears throat> Um, and we have some nice ones on our place and some of the places we manage. But overall, you know, it's not something – we don't recommend it a lot unless the landowner really wants more food plots. We don't recommend going in and hammering out six acres of I don't of know food if plots. I've
2: ever recommended, like, going into a timber block and just demolishing and putting anything over – Five acres? No, I,
1: I know why. I'm almost like, I certain don't there might be a client <laughs> that says false. You did it on mine, and I'm like, oh,
2: I forgot about that. But I, I, well, I don't really think can't, I have. I don't think I don't think I've ever recommended because I do not like the large food plots. <laughs> what, what here's here's what I have done, and, and I was so the day before yesterday we were working at a different place, going back and remarking um, work that work that had um, been recommended through a management plan, and we were going and marking the property because he's getting ready to just. Get after it, man. He's about to just work, work, work. So it's awesome. But essentially, there's this ridge top. It will be clear cut. And he will have a food plot in there. But it's going to be like maybe 20% of this, let's say, I don't know. It's probably a four-acre type opening. But it's not like a bedding deal. It's slowly going to be trans. Because it was once open. But now there's a little bit of value in there. So anyhow, let's go get hammered stump treating, foliar application, some of the woody regression, and then burn it. So essentially it's going to be long-term old field yep, and a food plot in it. Gotcha. But that's the biggest opening. It's like, well, there's a little food plot. But yeah. It's five acres, but that's not the purpose of to put food in it, right? Yeah. It'll Next up, young forest
1: succession. creation. So it could be micro clear cuts. It could be young forest openings. It could be bedding tickets. They're all the same. Yeah. It depends on who we talk to. Micro clear cuts, I'd say a clear cut because a lot of people down south know what a clear cut is or a cut over. We're just doing micro versions. Yeah. One to three acres. Um, bedding thicket. I mean, we're creating a thicket that's going to allow deer to have year-round forage through woody browse and herbaceous plants, year-round cover through the structures that have fallen um, and the new growth of the vegetation that's coming up, and then also... By doing that, you're going to have secure cover, which helps deer get older. So
2: well, and I we haven't really been hammering this home. All of this moves the needle. Yeah. On we will when we cover, get through them. cover and food value. Yeah. Next one up,
1: prescribed fire. <sighs> uh, if you can burn, burn. It helps with invasive species control. Like I was working with the guys yesterday in <coughs> Central Missouri. They had bush honeysuckle scattered mm-hmm. through. And I was like, attack the large ones. We'll get the young ones with the fire. Yep. And so that's kind of one of those, like, once you get the, once we get the big ones killed, a few might slip through the cracks. But if we're burning, we're going to keep them at bay to where even on the that comes in, we're going to knock it all back. Yep. And so fire will be our – and that's a whole lot easier to control it with fire than it is ground assault with hatchets and herbicide. Yeah. So prescribed fire not only helps control invasives, promotes Uh, promotes the new growth of very nutritious plants, improves cover in a lot of places, um, and overall is just more beneficial, uh, and it's extremely beneficial to not only deer, but all kinds of other species. Yep. Next one, last one, (laughs) diverse planting. So whether you're doing a CRP planting or a pollinator planting um, that's highly diverse, 15-plus species or more, um, and you're mixing in shrubs maybe it's not a crp planting but you're mixing in shrubs you're planting some tree pockets whatever it may riparian area yep. all that we, I think we mentioned it earlier all that is hugely important not only provides great forage but also great cover not only to deer but a long list of species so I'm just a those f- things I'll list them out again. Edge feathering, TSI, FSI, old field management, invasive species control, large food plots, young forest promotion, prescribed fire, diverse plantings—those are all things. It's like, you know what? I'm listening to this. Uh, I've listened to this podcast a while, and I'm just—I'm tired of hunting the same old mediocre deer that I have here, and I'm tired of wasting my time doing mock scrapes, screening monocultures, of grass, water tubs. Mineral supplement, recreational trapping, fruit trees, all that stuff. I'm just doing stuff. I'm tired of that. I'm just going to – I now, instead of that, I'm going to take two years off from that. I may get back to it. But next year or this winter, I'm doing edge feathering TSI, invasive species control, old field management, food plots, uh, large food plots, young forest, prescribed fire, diverse plants. I'm doing those instead. You do that, you switch, I guarantee you, you would notice a change – by next hunting season, if you do them large enough, and it doesn't really have to be that large, um, and not only would you see it next hunting season, but five years later you could still see the work that you did by doing these land management
2: practices. Without a doubt, there is an there's a there's a difference between <coughs> like busy work and staying busy working. Yeah. Those hunting non-habitat management is simply busy work. The other stuff is the impactful things that are going to to honestly if your goals are set properly going to make the difference and allow you to reach them bar none. There's and we're going there's dilly daller dilly dalliers and there's deal
1: makers. And the people that are making <laughs> deals and doing the stuff, the dilly I'm, dally practical deal maker. Just, that's right. I am, I am a I'm gonna deal go make maker. a deal we're gonna we're gonna get this done and uh, <laughs> I'm just so tired of seeing wasted time wasted energy for not getting the results well, that they want.
2: you know hey everybody's open to their own own deals what they want to do but but don't continue to to um, complain about the same stuff if you're not addressing that through habitat yeah. management. And, and don't Properly, explain, don't tell me it is Technics. habitat management.
1: Don't so. don't give me gravy and tell me that it's jelly. <laughs> Ooh, that would be bad. Because I know Gross. gravy ain't sweet.
2: <laughs> Man, good luck to everybody out
1: you've there. you've Got any questions, emails? Shoot us uh, info at landandlegacy.tv. We've got yep. a lot of consults booked. Man, we've Ooh. got a. Little- a lot of inquiries coming in the last Keep few days too. Um, coming, and so Love it looks him. like we're going to be traveling a lot. So there's a good chance we'll be we're going to be coming through your area, neck of the woods.
2: Hey, never mind. What? No, I can't do it. <laughs> we're going to cut him off. There. We'll see you guys next week. Yeah.